Shalom and welcome everyone to the ICEJ webinar series. I'm David Parsons, Vice President and Senior Spokesman for the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, coming to you from our Jerusalem headquarters. Uh, we're now, uh, I think, at about day 104, 104 of uh, Israel's war with Hamas in Gaza. And we're going to take a look today at just how much damage the IDF has done to Hamas in this time period. And can we start saying that Hamas is defeated, it's on the ropes? Uh, is it inevitable or is there still a lot to do? To help us analyze this, we have our friend, Lieutenant uh, Colonel in the IDF Reserves, Jonathan Conrykus. Uh, for many years, he served as international spokesman with the IDF. Uh, before that, he had served in the Gavadi Brigade. And uh, he's uh, since, uh, since he retired, he's been a security analyst with the Israel Defense Security Forum, other groups, recently appointed as a senior fellow with the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies out of Washington, D.C., a very uh, well-respected conservative think tank there. And uh, good to see you, Jonathan. Let's make clear from the start, uh, you finished up a f uh, several weeks uh, in the IDF spokesman's office at the start of this war, but now you're back, back in your civilian clothes and, and on your own can say a little more. Exactly, David, and uh, I'm very happy to be here, and I thank you for uh, having me on your, uh, your show. Always great to have you. You're a wealth of information and, and insights. Uh, we're trying to determine... You know, how close is the IDF getting to defeating Hamas in, in Gaza? Uh, you know, we're expecting after three, four, five months, maybe by March or so, uh, a lot of the heavy fighting in Gaza would be over. The IDF itself, uh, Chief of Staff Herzi Alevi, uh, and other senior IDF figures, not just the spokesman's office, has said, look, you have operational control over most of northern Gaza. There's even drawdowns of troops. Uh, uh, I think uh, one of the five divisions in Gaza is being taken out for some R&R and retraining. Uh, and so how much, how far along are you to defeating Hamas? How much longer is it going to take uh, to get this job done? Yes, yeah, that's uh, probably a question that uh, a lot of people are asking in Israel and around the world. And like many things in life, the answer is complex and indecisive. My answer would be that I, I'll divide it into a few parts. One part is that I think that the IDF, uh, you know, there's a mirror image, I think, between the tremendous and tragic failure of the IDF on October the 7th which is something that the IDF will have to repent and amend for with regards to the Israeli people and the fact that Hamas was able to get in and to butcher as many Israelis as they did, sadly. And that is something that the IDF, being a serious and uh, transparent and uh, honest organization, will have to look deeply into, fix, and make sure that the state of Israel, and most importantly, the people of Israel, will be able to trust it to do its job again in the future. 
but I see a mirror image between the horrible failure of October the 7th and how the IDF has been operating in the battlefield, fighting against Hamas in Gaza ever since. And I think that uh, troops, both in the air, the air force and ground forces have been fighting admirably in a very challenging combat environment, perhaps, and I say this with caution, but perhaps the most complex combat environment that any Western military has faced ever. Uh, because the dimensions of warfare are sky, ground, and underground. And the Gaza Strip, to begin with, even before we speak about the underground, is one of the most densely populated areas in the world, which is really a playground for a terrorist. It offers so much protection and concealment and excellent positions for a terrorist or a, a militant, if you want to call them that, but most of them are terrorists. And it is a very challenging area to operate for, uh, in for a mechanized and regular military. And that's without talking about the tunnels. And despite the fact that the IDF's enemy is embedded within the civilian population and Hamas uses civilians and all of the civilian infrastructure uh, hiding behind it and is embedded within it and it makes it very difficult for the IDF to distinguish between combatant and non-combatant. Despite all that, and despite the fact that Hamas has this tremendous hundreds of miles and very complex and at the high level of sophistication tunnel system that they've been using uh, to launch attacks at Israel, to fire rockets at Israeli civilians and to plan and execute attacks against Israeli troops inside Gaza. Despite all of these things, the terrain, the tunnels, the civilians and the enemy, I think that the IDF has been doing and is doing a tremendous job at uh, dismantling Hamas and its military infrastructure with a minimal impact on uh, non-combatants in Gaza. Yes, there are civilians that have been killed that probably were not part of fighting, but I think that given the almost impossible situation that Hamas has rigged on the ground, the IDF has been doing a very good job. Sadly, on a very, very important issue, mission that the IDF has to return Israeli hostages, the IDF has not yet been as successful as we would have wanted to be. And there are still more than 134, depending on you know the information that we have, the latest updates about uh, Israeli hostages, but more than 130 Israelis are in Gaza in Hamas captivity. Some of them uh, probably confirmed dead, some of them presumed dead, and some of them probably alive. Uh, and that is a situation that surely we wouldn't have imagined that we would be in 100 days after the war started. Uh, and we want to be in a different situation. We want all of the Israelis to be brought back home. And we want Hamas dismantled. And we want to start building the future of uh, southern Israel and Israel again. And sadly, we are not there yet. Um, good progress, as you said, has been made in northern Gaza. We've the IDF has dismantled most of Hamas's infrastructure there at least 11, perhaps 12 out of 12 Hamas battalions in the north have been rendered out of commission. Uh, there are still uh, squads of terrorists there and they still have rocket launchers, but all in all, 
Uh, I think a very good achievement. Lots of terrorists have been killed. We're talking about at least 8,000, according to IDF assessments, which may change, but this is the number we're speaking about now. Lots and lots of weapons uh, uncovered and destroyed. Uh, dozens of miles, if not hundreds of miles, already in the north of tunnels that have been exposed, researched and destroyed. Some of those tunnel networks have been massive. Uh, that could accommodate vehicles, pickup trucks inside them, specifically in the northern part of the Gaza Strip. So in the north, we're talking about good, solid military achievements, not mission accomplished yet, but good achievements. In the center and in the south, the IDF is still hard at work. Lots of troops are still inside the Gaza Strip, operating, fighting the enemy, fighting above ground and underground, and dismantling bit by bit Hamas infrastructure which is, again, as I said, uh, very much embedded within the civilian infrastructure in Gaza. There's hardly a house, a school, or a clinic that, are, that Israeli troops get to without exposing a tunnel shaft or hidden weapons, hidden explosives, or some other, or a ro rocket launcher, which uh, Israeli troops have found in kindergartens and in schoolyards and in schools and in mosques and close to churches. All of that has happened, uh, and the IDF continues to dismantle their infrastructure. Now, when we look ahead and we think, okay, let's try to put a time frame on this, I suggest uh, not to put a time frame because it is very difficult to assess how long this will take and what achievements will be needed in order to defeat the enemy. Defeating an enemy is breaking his will to fight. That, that is really the essence of defeating an enemy, and that's not something specific to Israel. That is how wars are fought and won all over the world. Once you're able to defeat the enemy's will to fight, once you're able to break that, then you have effectively defeated. And that may take time. And it's a cumulative effort of defeating, of killing operatives, killing commanders, taking away their most important assets, their logistic capabilities, their uh, administrative capabilities, their fighting capabilities, and of course, killing seniors, and international pressure, and psychological warfare, and media warfare, and many things combined. And it's difficult to say when and how exactly that will be achieved, but I have very high confidence that it will be achieved by Israel, uh, and hopefully, of course, sooner rather than later. As we're speaking, Israeli forces are very much hunting senior Hamas terrorists. Uh, Khaled is sorry, not Khaled Mas. Well, maybe him also, but he's outside of Gaza, so I won't speak about him so much. But definitely Yechia Sinwar, Muhammad Def, and many other senior terrorists who have not only an operational importance, as in running operations by Hamas against Israel and killing Israelis, but also a symbolic value. And they are targeted relentlessly. Uh, hopefully, Israel will be able to strike them and take them out as soon as possible. So to summarize this opening question of has Hamas been defeated and how long will it take? Good, solid progress has been made, but the job is not yet done. And there's many more terrorists to kill, many more rocket launches to take out, many more weapons depots to take out and destroy, and many more tunnels to destroy, and seniors to kill before the IDF will be able to declare or sense that 
the IDF will have defeated Hamas. Okay, thank you for that very good inner overview. Um, look at 100 days, Israeli leaders, the political leaders sort of, you know, said this marks so much. Here's the progress made, the IDF as well. It came amid some of the Israeli military statements that uh, we have operational control, we're drawing down forces, and it was almost like the Israeli media and public took it like the fighting's over, we're, you know, we're moving to phase three or whatever. They had to then make clear, look, there's still a lot to do in central and southern Gaza. On the Hamas side and their backers in Hezbollah and Iran, Iran at 100 days said this, uh, they still declared victory, even with all of Hamas's losses, that the fact that Hamas has fought and stood up to the idea for 100 days, they consider this a victory. If the war ended today, it's it may be sort of a draw, but they're going to claim victory just by the fact they've survived so far. This is, this is the problem you face in this region, isn't it? It is true, and Israel cannot accept, accept anything short of a decisive, clear, and uh, ringing victory. And it needs to be decisive, it needs to be uh, very clearly understood by what's left of Hamas outside of Gaza, and all of the other terrorist organizations, all of the other Iranian proxies that are threatening Israel. Uh, because if there is no clarity, then some joker from Tehran or some terrorist from uh, Lebanon might say that uh, Hamas won just because there's still three and a half Hamas fighters holed up in some bunker somewhere in Khan Yunus or in Rafah. Uh, we cannot accept, accept that, and there needs to be a very clear and decisive victory, and there will be one. It may take time, but at the end of this, uh, you know, the only thing that's keeping uh, the IDF from achieving that very fast is the fact that Hamas is using the Gazan civilians as human shields and that these civilians are not allowed to go out of Gaza. Had they been allowed to evacuate themselves into safety outside of Gaza uh, to Egypt, then uh, this battle would have been much faster and would have been had a lower price in casualties and civilians being hurt. But the political reality is that Egypt isn't accepting any uh, uh, Palestinian refugees, and they're stuck inside, and therefore the pace of operations is accordingly. But I don't think that, uh, I mean, of course, the Iranians, they don't care anything about uh, Palestinian civilians being killed, but that is really uh, the only thing that is protecting Hamas, uh, who are cowards hiding underground in their tunnels, firing rockets from their tunnels, and barely showing their uh, faces above uh, above ground. Whenever they do, they're usually killed. Uh, and uh, it'll take some time, but at the end of the process, they will be taken up. But when we speak about Israeli force posture, I think we have to zoom out a bit and look at the, the regional picture and understand that today, Israel is actively fighting on at least three fronts, Gaza, Lebanon, and Judea and Samaria, with other fronts further away, a naval area of operations and operations in the sky further away from Israel or aerial operations further away from Israel. And we have to take into account that when Israel uh, thinks about its combat strength inside Gaza versus the other missions that Israel has or may have in the future, 
then you have, that is how we should understand any rotation in troops inside Gaza being taken out. Nobody in the IDF thinks that the fighting is over in Gaza. The fact that there's rotation is in order to prepare for the next stage of operations and for other missions and to be able to retain what we call operational flexibility, to be able to respond to different events and to project force as needed according to uh, strategic needs. And uh, I, so maybe some Israelis have been confused, maybe there hasn't been clear messaging, but you know that is also part of fighting because whenever the Israeli defense establishment, the spokesperson, etc., communicates with the Israeli public in Hebrew, the enemy is listening as well. And we don't want to share information with the enemy that will be beneficial for, for them uh, any more than we have to in order to inform the Israeli public. So it's a, it's a delicate balance, but I think that at the end uh, of the situation, it's important to take troops out, rest, uh, rearm, train, and uh, reorganize to be ready for future assignments, which may be all over uh, our borders uh, and may be against different enemies. Yeah, it's this tension uh, over the pace of the war of getting the job done quickly versus the caution because of the tunnel challenges and everything. But uh, uh, there was, Prime Minister Netanyahu was just quoted in the media. I think he was talking to some of the regional council heads uh, who want to go back to their communities on the Gaza border. And he said, look, this fighting, this war may last not only through this year, but even into 2025. Are there some aspects of this conflict that where, where you might project it out that long? That's the first time I hear uh, such a um, sinister assessment. Um, and one would hope that the Israeli defense establishment would make swift work of the uh, swifter work of Hamas, at least and first and foremost Hamas, so to allow Israeli civilians to go back mm. to their homes and start the long and challenging process of rebuilding their communities. Uh, there's almost 20 Israeli communities that have been evacuated that are some of them are totally ruined and there will have to be a tremendous reconstruction effort in order to bring these communities back to life and the precondition of course is security without security none of that will happen and once security is achieved it will take a lot of effort and a lot of time and a lot of funds and energy will be needed but i have complete um you know belief in the spirit of Israelis, in the spirit of these kibbutz members and other communities who, once the situation will be safe from a security point of view, will go back, demolish what needs to be demolished, and then rebuild stronger, better, more and larger than uh, how their communities were before. But this, you know, when you look at the sad situation whereby there are uh, almost 200,000 Israeli internally displaced Israelis. Those are the official figures, and I think that the actual figures are perhaps higher than that. But when you combine evacuees from the north and evacuees from the south, we're looking at a sizable percentage of the Jewish population in Israel. And uh, I would say that that is a, a non-negotiable situation from an Israeli point of view. Israelis need, must go back to their homes. 
and it is the responsibility of the government and the military to facilitate the conditions for them to be able to do so. Uh, and every day that the Israelis are not in their homes is a travesty. Uh, and Israelis must go back to their homes and populate their communities in the north and in the south. Um, and in the north, I think that the challenge is even bigger because we're facing an even more vile and um, powerful enemy with more weapons, with longer range, more sophistication, and more personnel to fight against Israel. And uh, what Israel needs to do is to get Hezbollah away from the border to begin with, and then think about, strategically speaking, how to dismantle Hezbollah's capabilities, how to deny Hezbollah the ability to store rockets and fire at Israeli civilians. There's a lot on the list, but at the end of the day, first and foremost, Hezbollah needs to be pushed away from the border so that the Israeli communities are safe to return to. I know that is a priority, and it must remain a priority for the government to make sure that that happens and does so very quickly. Mm -hmm. So to, to declare the defeat of Hamas or, or, and or Israeli victory at the same time, you, you have to restore the sense of security of those Israeli communities on the Gaza border as well as, as on the northern border, which is going to take some time. Uh, and uh, as you said, the, you, you uh, break the will of the enemy, in, in this case of Hamas, to fight. Jonathan, this goes beyond the, the, old, the normal concept of deterrence, where you know they have weapons and they've got motivation and willing to fight, but you put up you know, such a threat against them that it deters them from striking at you. But you're talking about going on beyond that in order to meet this definition of defeating Hamas. Correct. Uh, and that is what's necessary, because we've seen that the enemy we face in Gaza is a genocidal enemy that is uh, indoctrinated to, uh, if they can, conduct a genocide of Jews in Israel. Nothing less. And this has been said before October the 7th and after October the 7th by various Hamas seniors inside Gaza and outside of Gaza. This is the essence of Hamas. And perhaps Israel wasn't paying attention before, or perhaps wasn't taking the threat seriously, but I think now we do. And therefore, it is clear that this is not going to end with, you know, a half-cooked political diplomatic uh, uh, solution to it, whereby Hamas is allowed to continue to exist. That cannot be, uh, because that would effectively be a defeat for Israel. This can only end with a totally defeated and disintegrated Hamas that does not govern the Gaza Strip, that has no military capability, and where Israel establishes full control and operational freedom over the Gaza Strip in order to really clean out uh, all of the remains, all of the weapons, the manufacturing capabilities, the stockpiles and the tunnels, etc., and then to start rebuilding, hopefully together with uh, positive countries and forces in the region to start rebuilding Gaza while still dominating from a security point of view and making sure that there's absolutely no threat or no resurgence of any uh, enemy capabilities. Uh, until that is achieved, this war will not be over. And uh, we need to be very clear of who we're fighting, what they want to achieve, and, and, and what 
frankly, the, uh, the tolerance against such an enemy could be. Uh, I think that there should be no tolerance and that we must achieve a very uh, overwhelming, clear and um, complete this decisive victory here that leaves no doubt and no military threat emanating from Gaza in the foreseeable future. And that takes a lot of fighting. And you're correct in saying that, you know, we're not talking about deterring someone from uh, action. We're talking about really dismantling their ability to fight and also their will to fight. Now, we have to distinguish between that, which can be measured in military terms, in terms of dismantling their military abilities, and the idea of uh, fundamental Islam and extremism and jihad against Israel. Those ideas, unfortunately, will not, um, be, will not be evaporated once Hamas is destroyed. Those ideas will sadly continue to exist. They are harbored by many Muslims around the world, and it will take, I don't know, hundreds of years to eradicate that, if at all. But we are now focusing on Hamas and of dismantling their, dismantling their capabilities. Sadly, a violent extremist Islam will be around even after Hamas is dismantled. Yeah, I wish and pray the world would understand the tough work uh, and hard work and, and uh, risky job that Israel is undertaking to do this on behalf of the, the rest of us. Um, just another question on the hostages. I know it's, um, you know, it's got to be frustrating that the Israeli military has been fighting and fighting since that one-week truce where they got almost half the hostages, about 100 hostages back, but none since. It looks like there's a pattern that as soon as you get close to some, they may be executing uh, some of these. And now we've got the the one-year birthday of the little kafir uh, Bibas child, but the IDF says we need to keep the military pressure on uh, in order to get these hostages back. Why is that the key to getting them back? Because otherwise Hamas doesn't have an incentive to do so. And unless there is continuous, heavy, relentless and painful pressure on Hamas, on their leaders, on their terrorists, on the fighters, on their infrastructure, uh, their houses, their belongings, and uh, their hideouts, etc. Unless there is that clear pressure, uh, then why would they? Then they would have the upper hand and they would just drag out things and they could take all the time in the world and dictate all the, the, the conditions and Israel wouldn't be in a uh, really in a very good uh, situation to dictate anything. Uh, and that is not where we should be being. And I frankly think that Israel has been, how should I say it, extremely tolerant and uh, very considerate of humanitarian needs in Gaza. I think that many Israelis, I know that many Israelis are asking, including families of hostages, why on earth is there humanitarian aid going into the Gaza Strip every day hundreds of trucks. We're talking about more than 200 trucks every day now for the last week. Why is there humanitarian aid going into Gaza while there are, let's say, 135 Israelis being held hostage there? Uh, many people in Israel find that extremely hard to understand and explain. Sure, there's international considerations and there's pressure and there's all kinds of uh, uh, leverage uh, applied on Israel. But at the end of the day, our 
including civilians, women and children, are being held in Gaza um, uh, for more than 100 days in extremely cruel and inhumane conditions, uh, many of them wounded, women and children and men that were taken uh, in a brutal, unprovoked attack uh, on a sovereign state. Uh, yet, you know, the world continues to turn uh, and even humanitarian aid is provided to the Gaza Strip. Uh, many people feel that that is a, not, a, not a good situation and perhaps that the Israeli government should address things differently than how it is doing it now. I want to ask you about the terror tunnels. We just uh, had uh, like a briefing from the IDF that it, they've been more extensive than even the IDF had assessed beforehand. It's over 500 miles of tunnels. Uh, I think they said 5,700 entrances, shafts that go down into the tunnels. Nearly every other house has one, schools, hospitals, mosques, etc. Uh, but uh, and there was also they found uh, earlier a tunnel that basically runs north south along under the main highway Saladin Highway from Gaza City down towards Khan Yunus and Rafa, and now they've found just found a second one right near Wadi Aza. Is it your understanding that these tunnels could have or did allow? Hamas, even as, while the IDF controlled the ground above to get weapons, terrorists, senior Hamas leaders, even hostages north and south from, from say, the north into the south underneath of, of the IDF over recent weeks? Yeah, I think that's a very fair assessment and a very high level of probability that that did indeed happen. Uh, happen, and I think that it's fair to assume that that did indeed uh, that is how Hamas used the tunnels. Um, and until the IDF is able to dismantle either incapacitate them by various ways that Israel has at its disposal, until it's done, uh, the uh, fighting against Hamas won't be done, uh, and Hamas will still have the ability to fire rockets. Uh, and to um, come out the day after the fighting and uh, claim victory. Uh, so that needs to happen. But some tunnels that are, you know, we've spoken about this, and it's it's very true. All of the things that you said are very correct. 5,700 and hundreds of miles of, uh, of tunnels in Gaza. But tunnels that have not yet been spoken about so much and are absolutely strategic are the smuggling tunnels coming in from Rafah into Gaza. Uh, from Egypt. All of the weapons, I'd say 99% of the weapons in uh, Gaza that were used to butcher 1,200 Israelis on uh, uh, the 7th of October and have been used to fight Israel ever since, including the rockets that are being fired on Israeli civilians almost relentlessly, all of those weapons and explosives came in through Egypt. And they came in through the tunnels and until Israel dismantled those, will dismantle those tunnels, the war won't be over because it will just mean that Hamas will have the ability to replenish their capabilities, rearm uh, and regroup uh, inside Gaza and outside of Gaza uh, as long as those tunnels are open and, uh, and intact. So I think that we will see 
in the not-so-distant future, IDF operations in Rafah, in and under Rafah, in order to take out those tunnels. Because without it, the fighting will continue, and it will only be a very short matter of time before Hamas gets more weapons from the Iranians and others, and continues fighting. And of course, Israel cannot and must not allow that. So we're looking at uh, coming back to the first question, how we started this. So we will likely see operations in Rafah. And don't worry, I'm not telling anybody here secrets that Hamas doesn't know and understand. Hamas understands this. The IDF knows it. The Egyptians know it. The Americans know it. Everybody understands that this is the case and that this war will not be over with open tunnels under Rafah. Just informing you and your tremendous viewers around the world that uh, they can anticipate fighting in Rafah, and it is an absolute necessity for Israel, even and despite the fact that there may be a lot of uh, civilians, internally displaced civilians there. They will have to move, they will have to be moved out of that area in order to allow uh, for IDF operations there, and hopefully they will do so quickly without any interference, uh, and then the IDF can get busy at uh, uh, dismantling that. Uh, one last thing, perhaps, that I would like to uh, address. You know, this goes back, and it's actually relevant to, to the church and, and to um, Christian uh, welfare people and humanitarians that were active in, uh, at the end of uh, the War of Independence in 1948 and 49. I guess, I, I suppose that you know where I'm, where I'm going with this. I'm speaking about UNRWA. UNRWA, the UN uh, Works and Relief, Relief and Works Organization in Gaza, uh, which started out as a nice enough organization to care for displaced Arabs that were uh, uh, unfortunate victims of the Arab aggression against Israel in 1948. Uh, that institution was founded more than 75 years ago, and today that institution, according to my assessment and many others is perhaps the biggest obstacle to reconciliation, peace, and justice with regards to Israel and the Arabs and specifically Palestinians. And when we look at the situation in Gaza, I do not think that there can be a just and lasting and sustainable solution to the suffering in Gaza, the instability and the violence and the extremism, as long as UNRWA is allowed to continue to exist and de facto run and operate and manage the Gaza Strip, including schools, hospitals, and uh, provision of food and services. Uh, until that organization is phased out and replaced by domestic Arab Palestinian organizations and entities and functions, we will not see stability, we will not see peace, we will not see justice, and most importantly, we will not see an end to the conflict between Israelis and Arabs, and specifically in Gaza. Yeah, point well taken. UNRWA is, is not only uh, this uh, organization that uh, teaches anti-Semitism, but jihad. Uh, yes, brainwashes to jihad. Yes, yeah. brainwashes to jihad and brainwashes small Palestinian children that they have the right of return and that someday they will go back to Yaffa and Haifa and Jerusalem, filling their heads with dangerous nonsense that eternalizes the conflict 
and is very dangerous for them and dangerous for Israelis, the sooner this organization is, you know, um, responsibly shut down, downsized and then shut down and then uh, other... Phased out. Yeah, phased out. Thank you. That's the word I was looking for. It needs to be phased out responsibly and then for other Palestinian institutions to take its place. Only when that happens will we see real strategic long-term change for the better for the people in Gaza. Okay, you, you mentioned uh, uh, not only going into the Rafa area, the southern end of the Strip, but uh, the, the Philadelphia corridor, which is right on the border with Sinai. I mean, there's sensitivities between Israel, the IDF, and Egypt on this. But uh, uh, the point you made is that all the, the massive amount of, of weapons that Hamas had into Gaza, it just shows Egypt when they said they had shut down those tunnels. It just wasn't the case. And only the IDF has the motivation to go in there and really root them out. This seems to be the case, but it's going to, that's a whole new operation that's coming, but it's complex because all those civilians have been pushed south. Where are you going to send them? Are you going to send them to some of the areas that have been covered in, in southern or central Gaza? Are you going to let them, would Israel let them back into the north? Because that carries all kinds of risks as well. Yeah, I think the best solution, uh, as far as I can understand it, is, uh, again, with respect for the sanctity of human life, with respect for the fact that people who are not part of Hamas and not combatants should be not be affected by the warfare. And this is what the IDF has been aspiring to achieve all along. And this has been the guiding principle for Israeli operations. This is why Israel called on Palestinians to evacuate northern Gaza ahead of the Israeli ground maneuvers there, simply to get them out of harm's way. Sadly, Hamas didn't allow people to do so, and UNRWA actively uh, worked against Israel in order to save these people and get them out of the areas, and refused, UNRWA refused to build uh, the humanitarian zone and proper refugee or uh, IDP housing in the humanitarian zone that the IDF uh, put uh, uh, organized. And I think that's very sad. That is so cynical and so sad. And Israel will have to find solutions for that. Hopefully, uh, the humanitarian zone will be erected and furnished and uh, supplies will be brought there and shelter, water, sanitation, medical and food, etc. Uh, to that area so that the Palestinians can be temporarily evacuated from there to uh, 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 the Muassi area, just northwest of, uh, of Khan Yunis. And then they would be there until the fighting is over, until Hamas is defeated, and then slowly they could return and start rebuilding. Uh, the best would, of course, be if they would be allowed out to... to decide yeah, and of course that would be the safest for them, but I understand the political considerations of the Egyptians. They seem to care very little about the suffering of Palestinians and more about other things, but those are their considerations. Um, and at the end of the day, if we want to, uh, you know, minimize the harm to civilians, then they should be taken out of the active combat areas, and there are solutions. If 
humanitarian organizations and UN entities in Gaza will cooperate with Israel and work together and facilitate the proper construction of that humanitarian zone, then many civilians can be saved and a lot of suffering can be spared. If they won't, and if they'll continue to de facto support and sustain Hamas rule over Gaza by making it more difficult for Israel to fight against Hamas, then there will be more suffering. At the end of it, Israel will obtain whatever goals we need anyhow. And the question is, how many people will suffer on the way? Israel will continue to operate according to the laws of our conflict, will continue to distinguish between combatant and non-combatant, and to apply the principle of proportionality, operate according only when there is military necessity, and to use force only where needed and applicable. But it is a war, and people who are in a war zone, unfortunately, uh, can and most likely, sadly, will be hurt. And of course, that needs to be prevented to a minimum. And hopefully, international institutions will help instead of obstruct in uh, saving Palestinians. Yeah. Um, uh, we want to start winding up now, but uh, when all the aid is coming in through the Rafah crossing, it's been inspected by Israel, these trucks going in, it looks like Hamas still has a fairly firm control there in that southern part of Gaza because they grab these trucks of aid and and hoard it for themselves and then sell it on the they either just keep it for themselves or they sell it on on the black market at a, at a much elevated price when the international community gave it for free. And uh, if the IDF goes in and takes over the Rafah crossing, there's sensitivities with Egypt about that. Is that going to break that Hamas grip over the civilians in Gaza there who want food but are being actually extorted at exorbitant prices by Hamas just to just to get food and water? Yeah, the cynicism knows no boundaries, and I think the true colors of Hamas are really shining through. Uh, we see that they don't care about the needs of the population. They will prioritize their own organizational survivability, their commanders, their combatants, the terrorists themselves, uh, and just their wealth and well-being over the needs of Palestinian civilians any day of the week. And we see that again and again, that the practices that you described, we see them and they are, uh, they're documented in international and Arabic media. It's not something that Israel is only claiming, but you can see it. Social media, you can see Palestinians saying it for themselves. Why are Hamas stealing aid? Why, when I'm supposed to receive food and water and medicine of the, from the international aid, why do I have to buy it for tremendously high and uh, grotesque prices? Why? Because Hamas prioritizes it. I'm not sure, regarding your question, I am not sure that this will solve the issue totally. As long as there will be Hamas operatives and a Hamas administrative system in Gaza, these practices will continue. And even if Israel will control uh, one side of the Rafah crossing, I'm sure that once the aid convoys go into other parts of Gaza, other parts of southern Gaza, where Israel may not yet dominate above ground, there it will be uh, uh, commandeered or stolen by Hamas, and uh, the same practice will, uh, will continue. So it's more a matter 
of A, calling it out, B, demanding from UN entities that they do a much better job at protecting the commodities, protecting the aid, doing their job at making sure that the aid is received directly without Hamas middlemen to the civilians in need, and third, uh, in the future, to uh, uh, once Israel establishes control, to make sure that it is indeed administered, uh, administered directly uh, and, uh, and freely as intended. Yeah. Last question. Uh, how concerned are you that uh, a lot of Hamas uh, militiamen may have fled south with all those civilians, taken off their uniforms, they're sitting there hiding in their thousands among the civilian population. When all those are allowed to come back, they're, they're going to be right back there trying to control the people and and, uh, and fire and, and threaten Israel. And what we're seeing in recent days, it looks like the, the IDF has caught on to one of Hamas tactics. They hit rockets and rocket launchers and weapons in the tunnels and mosques and hospitals, whatever. But in some places, they just buried them in the sand out in fields and open areas, just buried them. They know where they are. The IDF is finding some of these. I think they found a hundred uh, rocket launchers in one pile in Beit, Beit Lachia, which is up in the north where the IDF's been for months. And uh, I, I'm, I mean, I'm concerned they, that if all those civilians come back north, there's going to be rockets already hidden there. There'll be guys coming back in with them that within two or three days, you're going to have hundreds of rockets fired at Israel. Yeah, your concerns are not uh, unfounded. And uh, one of the problems with, uh, with terrorists is that uh, it's a revolving door or a sliding door between being a terrorist one second and then being a Gazan, a poor Gazan civilian, the second. Uh, and even appearing on uh, Hamas propaganda, telling uh, sad stories about civilian suffering as a civilian, and then the minute after, in civilian clothing, firing RPGs at Israeli tanks or detonating booby traps against Israeli soldiers. Um, one could only wish, I don't know if uh, the audience here is a fan of the uh, Quentin Tarantino movies, but one movie comes to mind. Uh, yeah, I know there's lots of blasphemy, etc. But you, they may have seen it anyhow. Uh, you know where this squad of uh, vigilante American soldiers—they put something on the foreheads of Nazis. This is of course fictional. Yeah, something that they cannot take off. Uh, which is a big swastika uh, embedded within their forehead. I wish, you know, there would be a way of telling terrorists from uh, innocent civilian, uh, but it is extremely challenging. Uh, it's based on a lot of intelligence work and a lot of cross-referencing of different sources of information. Uh, Israel has a lot of good intel on Hamas, but this will be challenging and it already is a challenge. And if you look at Hamas videos uh, that they themselves are distributing, you'll see that they fight in civilian clothes. They have a vest on them, a military vest, which can be easily taken off, but the rest is civilian clothes, gym shoes and sweatpants. That's how they fight. And not by mistake. It's not as if they don't have uniforms. They've got lots of uniforms for parades and for their photo ops 
And for their obituaries, they have very nice looking uniforms, but they are not for fighting. Because if you fight in uniform, you'll die in uniform, and then you will be, it will be clear to everybody and in the world that this was a Hamas terrorist who was fighting. If not, he can be claimed as a civilian who was unfortunately killed by the Israelis after having done absolutely nothing wrong. So it is a challenge, one that Israel is aware of and will be monitoring, but I think it, it, despite that monitoring, it will happen. To conclude, I think where we are now at this point is the, we're, we're in the early stages of this war. Still a lot of efforts will need to be done. Still a lot of fighting. Still a lot of a heavy price in casualties will, I think, be paid by Israel. Uh, but I draw lots of comfort speaking with and hearing from Israeli soldiers on the battlefield, soldiers and commanders who are extremely committed, in high spirit, with devotion, conviction, belief in the justness of their cause and knowing, not just believing, but knowing that there's no other alternative but victory. Complete, decisive and clear victory over this very extreme evil that has come upon us and murdered our civilians and raped our women and executed our children and taken our civilians hostage. There is no choice but complete victory over them and, all, and the men and women on the ground fighting understand this and they're willing to go the hundred and extra miles needed in order to get the job done. And I'm very comforted by that and I'm proud to be a former member of that organization that uh, fights and wants and will get the job done against Hamas. Man, we don't want uh, victory to be snatched from Israel's hands by uh, the U.S. or other internet members of the international community. Just got to keep fighting. We want to thank you for your time, uh, IDF Lieutenant Colonel in the Reserves, Jonathan Konrykas, who uh, has served for many years, a well-known figure as an uh, IDF spokesman, but uh, is back uh, in civilian roles now as a, as a security analyst with uh, the Israel Defense and Security Forum and the Foundation for the Defense of Democracies, among other uh, think tanks and analysis groups. Thank you, Jonathan, for all your time and insights and expertise. Thank you very much for having me, and Shalom from Tel Aviv. Okay, and uh, we want to thank everyone who's joined us today for the uh, ICJ webinar series. Make sure to stay tuned. Uh, at the top of the hour at 4 p.m. Israel time, we're going to have our, our daily global prayer gathering. You can pray with Christians, Christian leaders from all over the world. And then we'll see you next week uh, on Thursday at uh, uh, 3 p.m. Israel time once again for our ICEJ webinar series. God bless you from Jerusalem.